They said it was forbidden. They said it was dangerous. They were right. Introducing the paranoid American homunculus owner's manual. Dive into the arcane, into the hidden corners of the occult. This isn't just a comic. It's a hidden tome of supernatural power. All original artwork illustrating the groundbreaking research of Juan Ayala, one of the only living homunculologists of our time. Learn how to summon your own homunculus, an enigma wrapped in the fabric of reality itself, their power at your fingertips, their existence, your secret. Explore the mysteries of the Aristotelian, the spiritual, the Paracelsian, the Crowleyan homunculus, ancient knowledge lost to time, now unearthed in this forbidden tale. This comic book holds truths not meant for the light of day, knowledge that was buried, feared, and shunned. Are you ready to uncover the hidden, the paranoid American homunculus owner's manual, not for the faint of heart, available now from Paranoid American. Get your copy at tjojp.com or paranoidamerican.com today. Modern sociologists have made some analysis of the function of secret societies in the development of man's modern culture. And while these findings are for the most part based entirely upon cultural factors, they give us some rather interesting information which we can enrich and enlarge through reference to a larger frame of research. First of all, a secret society is usually a group of persons divided from their contemporaries by certain obligations, private assembly, and addiction to a particular or special code of conduct. Such societies began, of course, in the primitive world. Early in the history of man's social experience, tribes, barbaric, primitive, savage, developed secret societies. These were particularly concerned with the over-concept of that time, namely the importance of certain rituals and ceremonies in connection with the building of the individual into his tribal life. All of the important periods of life were marked with ritual, ceremony, and symbol. And the most important of ancient ceremonies of this nature had to do with the concept of citizenship, as it was then understood. By certain trials, obligations, and revelation, the person was prepared to become part of his social order. In tribal times, he received the wisdom of his tribe, and he proved that he was worthy of that wisdom. By undergoing certain trials, real or psychological dangers, indicating his heroism, his patience, his willingness to self-sacrifice, his dedication to the same principles uh, which governed his tribal life. After his initiation into the secret societies, he became a full-fledged member of his community. We may therefore say that in this respect, the secret society was also the school, uh, the university, if we may say, such a primitive society. Here, the accumulated wisdom of the people was made available to each new generation through ritual and ceremony. Welcome, welcome. Before we get started, I want to give a shout out to the newest patron, Dwayne Coltgen. Welcome. Thank you for the support. 
make sure to check out the patreon patreon.com slash the 101 podcast also make sure to check out the rockfin rockfin.com slash the 101 podcast posting exclusive episodes on there exclusive conversations post shows to all the illuminati confirmed episodes all that good stuff so before we get started i think there was some cuts in this episode here and there not 100 percent sure but just in case spare with me please so without further ado welcome to the show three two one and welcome back to another episode of the one-on-one podcast don't have my typical setup today i think this is probably my third podcast with this setup going on here not the biggest fan but it's only temporary until the end of this month. And as always, follow me on social media at the 101 Podcast, patreon.com slash the 101 Podcast, all that good shit. YouTube, TikTok. He's Lit. a fan of the show, and he says he's a doctor, but I, I don't know. <laughs> he knows what that word is nowadays, man. All right. We got John Victory with us here. He is an actual doctor, and we're going to be talking about a few things today. And I thought it would be appropriate to talk about the oculus order with an actual eye doctor because everybody knows about the all-seeing eye about the illuminati about all this crazy shit that we talk about so hey why not bring an actual eye doctor that you know this is the whole right this whole thing like the 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 triangle and all this shit you know what i mean i was like, i was testing people's eyes and before i knew it i was saying hey you got to look through you got to find that eyeball right there and i'm making triangles and i'm not even knowing what i'm doing so, really what what can you tell the listeners what got you into the medical field and why an eye doctor and not an ear doctor or something else i honestly uh i've always just kind of known it's a weird thing but I, it makes more sense now because i was growing up my mom is an icu nurse she's about 40 years in um and out of pittsburgh her dad my grandfather was a physician as well so i was always kind of at the hospital, seeing them work, doing their thing. And from there, I kind of knew, okay, well, I definitely like medicine. I'm a pretty big nerd, so I was a big science guy uh, in school. And I was at the eye doctor myself, I have contacts in, uh, from probably about third, well, second grade, maybe first grade onwards. And every six months, I was getting new glasses that were thicker or bigger or whatever you want to call them. And I was sort of wondering why this was kind of happening. And as I was growing through high school and, and eventually uh, deciding what to do, it was like, well, you know, you put everything from your experiences in medicine, you kind of get an eye doctor. And I just kind of knew eye doctor, eye doctor. I was fortunate, maybe through mm, junior, senior year of high school, you know, and a lot of people are still not even wondering what they're going to do in college. I had that idea of what I was going to do. So then um, got into college and then that took me to med school in Houston, Texas. I did my residency. Uh, in ocular disease. I'm an ocular disease specialist. I've been practicing Dallas, Texas for uh, the past 10 years, but then um, just moved back to Florida, uh, originally from Pittsburgh. So I want to get back to the East Coast. Here we are. Back to Florida. You've lived in Florida before, bro? I've spent a lot of time on the East Coast. Uh, I haven't lived there per se, but I have a lot of uh, experience going through where you are down in Miami and up. Um, but uh, I never give the other side uh, a chance before so kind of a lot of feeling and um just the way that the world's been going with medicine being a doctor nowadays especially having uh, a difference of opinion from the mainstream is uh hard to practice and i got a lot of pressure 
uh, amongst my colleagues in the Dallas area, and that kind of uh, caused the wave of, of everything to, to crash here on the Florida side. So, so how different is it? I've never been to, have I been to Texas? I don't think I've been to Texas. How do you mm -hmm. like Texas better or, or Pittsburgh or Florida? Which do you like better? I've, I've heard Florida and Texas are similar. It's, it's interesting, you know, nowadays it's uh, what, what states do you want to live in that give you the most ability to just think on your own? And that's probably Texas, Florida, and South Carolina. But a lot of people associate the state, but not the cities. So, for example, downtown Houston, downtown Dallas are very large metro areas that are very heavily influenced by a lot of the, the mainstream of what's going on. So I, I felt a lot of that as the past three years, four years started to, to bubble up. Pittsburgh, I love is a small, you know, hometown. It makes me appreciate that a lot more knowing, you know, what I know now. Um, but I'm not a big fan of the snow. I'm a beach guy. So uh, I'm liking it down this way for sure. So. Yeah, fuck that snow, dude. I hate nah. the cold. Uh, I don't never did understand it. I mean, I don't know why anybody would want to do that, that yeah, to themselves. Just, just like wear like a badge of honor, I guess. I don't know. But uh, Texas, too. I mean, living in a field, it wasn't really my thing. So I had to get by the water and uh, yeah. have to do that. So, so we'll, we'll get into the anatomy of the eyeball here in a second. We're going to be talking about the copial cipher, the oculus order and the oculist order and the all seeing eye. Because this is something, again, that we, it's all through pop culture, it's all through secret societies, the Illuminati, the Freemasons, Christianity, you know, theology as well, and Catholicism, you have the, the Eye of Providence and all this shit. So, I have here one of my favorite quotes from, obviously, The Matrix, Morpheus, what is real? How do you define real? If you're talking about what you can feel, what you can smell, what you can taste and see, then real is simply electrical signals interpreted by your brain. And whenever I think of something like this, I think of Descartes. Uh, Descartes had a dream argument, uh, which is the act of dreaming provides preliminary evidence that the senses we trust to distinguish reality from illusion should not be fully trusted. Because, again, there's, there's what was it called, the awakening dream or some shit where you wake up in your dream like inception so mm -hmm. you can wake up multiple times in a dream within a dream within a dream so how can you truly trust your senses descartes had the evil demon idea that he came up with again another platonic demiurge concept that this evil demon is controlling the simulation if you will and and you have the brain in a vat jar where all everything that you've come to known is just your brain and there's electrical signals being fed to you right i mean that's kind of scary you have boltzmann's brain which i talked about on a few episodes back where uh through thermodynamic equilibrium a brain can form in the vacuum of space and form an entire lifetime i mean it's a thought experiment but i mean if you want to believe in space right let's let's go there because i've ran into a couple of people as of lately who really don't buy the whole space thing which is cool hey i mean i respect everybody's opinions and i and i reserve to change mine at all times so we have Descartes talking about this, and the sense that we're going to be talking today in particular will be vision, obviously, because we're talking about the copial cipher, which is a, it's the craziest shit, right? It took, took them so long to break that down. So I wanted to get, and feel free to jump in whenever you want to jump in, bro. Mm -hmm. We have here the history of optics, and it was, I had never really mm -hmm. looked into it, and me wearing glasses mm -hmm. all my life. 
the first glasses I think came uh, in the year 1200. The late mm-hmm. 1200s was when the first glasses were presented. But I remember, I, I don't know if it was you that told me that you are able to train your eyeball to see again, but they just don't want to let you know that. Well, you could train your eye like a muscle. Basically, I describe it as a muscle, just like any other muscle that you can train to get stronger, faster, more agile. In fact, that was my original kind of uh, uh, interest was sports vision therapy, where you're training, you know, uh, NFL receivers' eyes. Uh, Adrian Peterson was a big guy on that. Larry Fitzgerald as a receiver, et cetera, et cetera. So, yes, you know, there is abilities to make the eye stronger in, in many different ways. But the actual process of vision, like what is it that doesn't allow me to see? Is that a muscle or is that a chemical reaction or how does that work? Because I know they put going with because I've always wanted to do laser eye surgery, but I'm scared of because of the symptoms that some people that I know have had. Like they see the stars, like these little, you know, the lights at the at, mm-hmm. at night. And then they told me that mm-hmm. at 40 years old, it's like flipping a switch. Mm-hmm. And, and it's mm-hmm. done. So it's like you got to go in for a tune up every year. And like, I don't know how. Mm-hmm. Mm Because if you think about it, bro, I mean, vision is crazy. Like, I mean, for me that I've been seeing all my life, I can't imagine being born blind without having Mm -hmm. vision or having vision all your life, then going blind from some accident. I think that's the wildest shit that can happen to somebody. Because, I mean, imagine not being able to watch porn or something. Like, would you just listen to the porn and then jerk off? Or, like, how does that even work? (laughs) I mean, you know, you just, I mean, you lose half your money right there. You know what I mean? So the stripper you that uh, that's on top of you or whatever it ends up being. So. so how does that work? Is it a chemical reaction or is it actually, how does the eye work a little bit? We could just dip our toes into that. Sure. The easiest way to describe it is a measurement. Like you'd measure your foot to size a shoe to your feet. Okay. So you have long feet, you have short feet, you have long eyes, you have short eyes. And microscopically on a millimeter level, our eyes that require prescriptions to help us see farther away are actually a little bit longer, at least what we're told in our allopathic reductionistic medical school programming, that the essentially measurement issue is what you're correcting. You're using that lens to either bring the light longer or shorter into the eye. And the basic way is light goes from the front of the eye, it gets directed to the back of the eye, shoots it to the brain, The brain then figures out those signals, like a binary code of how all that light hits the back of the eye. And of course, we have the best computer in the whole universe, I guess, till we know of, that can synthesize all that actually in the back of your brain and then produce an image, which is reality, of course. That's fucking... (laughs) And it's upside down, right? When When it's captured in the brain, it's upside down? So then... So then we have the basics, we have the basic physics, but then you have the fourth and fifth dimension of it where you flip and reverse everything. So what you're seeing is actually upside down and near the opposite way. So your brain actually flips it the opposite way for you. So not only is it processing the vision at the same time, but it's also disfiguring it so it's flipped relative to you. And that goes into two eyes, binocular vision versus monocular if you're shooting a gun, stuff like that. Wow, that, that, that's really crazy because, uh, you know, how, how, how you said, well, we'll get into it because I got a bunch of shit on that. So sure. I just wanted to, to know if I'm, so am I able to fix the way that the light hits inside my eye? You said that there is a way to change that or only the muscles you're able to train? 
So I, I would say, and this was my favorite answer in school, was all the above, because I am learning how much, much less I know about anatomy and about vision and about medicine, more I'm studying all of this different stuff that you and I uh, like so much. And the one thing with that is the <clears throat> medical school allopathic reductionistic method says, put the lens in front of the eye, the lens acts as a brace or whatever, and that lens acts as a prism, you know, from Pink Floyd, and that directs and bends the light. And that bending and those angular mathematics go into it saying, okay, that's it. And the way that the eye continues to develop, that lens will change based off the size of the eye. And that's basically, you know, what I'm, I'm selling to my patients every day. What I'm thinking is there's a lot more to it than the basis of nutrition. Um, I don't know if you follow a guy, I don't mean to plug on here, but Wallach's Warriors is a big uh, okay. uh, uh, naturopathic uh, type of nutrition-based, okay, don't take the petroleum-based pills, take the, you know, natural-based substances to heal yourself from within. Yeah. So I'm wondering, okay, as these kids, as you're developing the breast milk that you may have versus the formula, does that develop something? There's a lot of how you develop in the way your spine and all that is, as well as how much of a visual signal you have when you're growing. So for example, you take Asian kids and, and for um, a lot of the Taiwanese families, just the way that their culture and everything develops. I mean, you're right here looking at notes from six months old. Well, that trains those eye muscles to focus in on there at a, at a quicker rate. So there's been a lot of that with how much you place in front of the muscles as they develop. So this continues to evolve as I, as I develop into it. So. Wow. That's wild. So mm -hmm. we have here the, the field of optics started with the ancient Egyptians and Mesopotamians mm -hmm. and followed by theories on light and vision developed by the obviously the ancient Greek philosophers, the development mm -hmm. of geometrical optics in the Greco Roman world. And the word, uh, the word optics is derived from the Greek equivalent that translates to appearance or look. And optics was significantly reformed by the developments in the medieval Islamic world, then further advanced in early modern Europe. Early, earlier studies on optics are known as classical optics. The term modern optics refers to areas of optical research that developed in the 20th century. So we have wave optics and quantum optics which i have no fucking clue what that is but it's on there. the reason the reason that i wanted way. to talk about what i said it's all the way bro i'm just learning they're all wave particles so oh yeah <laughs> just like the ocean just like the magnetism but anyway go ahead the reason i wanted to bring up optics was because i've had on the show before visionary artists and visionary artists are either are artists who in uh, it's in the name of envision something either through the use of psychedelics or meditation and they paint whatever they're seeing so they they induce a trance by focusing on a, on an idea or something and then from there painting whatever they see so i've had a couple of those on and i have the book by lawrence caruana which he's been on the show before he has a book on i forgot the name of it here because i'm not in my I usually have it next to me, but it's about visionary art and just the positioning and, and sacred geometry, et cetera, et cetera. And one of the things that stood out to me, one of the chapters in that was of a vision of optics. And I didn't, I didn't know until probably two years ago or so, there were different theories of optics. And one of the ones that I found most interesting was 
emission theory or ex emission theory or extra emission theory is the proposal that visual perception is accomplished by eye beams emitted by the eyes. And obviously this theory has been replaced by, you know, it was worked by Plato and all these other guys and it's been replaced since. But essentially the ancients thought that you were shooting literally laser beams out of your eyes and whatever you were illuminating was what you were seeing. But obviously there are errors in that and it's been changed. This is, you know, what blows my mind, dude, about all this esoteric and conspiracy and all that, you know, just, just the world in general is that we're still using the shit of the ancients today. You know what I mean? Like the, the, the whole optics and all this stuff is stuff that they developed in the year, you know, you got Pythagoras talking about shit in the year 400, 500, whatever the fuck it was, stuff that we use today. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like mm -hmm. what in the world? Like the Egyptians, they, and mm -hmm. then even the, like the oldest thing that we know about is the Epic of Gilgamesh, right? The oldest literature that we have, but what was happening before them? Like there could have been a whole nother, you know, that's when you get into the whole Tartarian and Atlantis sure. and all this shit. I'm all for it. Yeah. All for it. You Some people like space, that. You know? Some people don't. I mean, that, the <laughs> that's the whole thing about this conspiracy realm and that. I, I was actually talking to Mark today and Chris and I was telling him about how depending on which theory you have, you know, even within the community, people are divided. Like that's the whole fucking right. We talk about the lizards and shit. It's like we're not supposed to be divided, but yet you're divided. You know, it's the, the globers against the flat earthers. It's like it doesn't does it really matter? Like, do you, you know, does it mean matter if the earth is flat around? Is it going to affect your life? Probably not. It's just another just something else for people to fight about. And so that's been bothering me as of lately, but it is what it is. And so we had the emission or extra emission theory that you can shoot mm -hmm. eye beams out of your eyes and, you know, see things. Uh, mm -hmm. There was a couple holes in that theory and we have here uh, later established to be rays of light reflected from it entering the eyes. So that's what we know today that how we, how you were saying the photon enters the eyeball goes to the back of the eye, uh, gets interpreted by the brain, and then we're able to see. And this is why they say we see things as they, as they were, not as they are, because even if it's the slightest amount of time, by the time that photon bounces back into the back of the eye, gets processed by the that takes time. Even if it's the smallest amount of time, which I don't even know the name of it, but I'm not seeing you right now, especially us right now over a stream, I'm not seeing you 100% how you truly are, there's a slight delay. And that's that's reality. I mean, there's a slight delay in everything when you're looking at somebody in face to face, you know, as the photons interact and the particles interact, it's not 100% real time, which is kind of scary if you really think about it. We have modern physics confirms light is physically transmitted by photons from a light source. So the sun to visible objects and finishing with the detector. So the human eye or a camera and the light from the eyes of some animals, cats, which modern science has determined have highly reflective eyes, could also be seen in darkness. Followers of intromission theory countered by saying that if emission theory were true, then someone with weak eyes should have his or her vision improved when someone with good eyes looks at the same object. So the way I took that was like, if I have shitty eyes and I'm looking at something, if it truly is laser beams that are being pointed at something, if you looked at it with your better eyes, I should be able to see it because, I mean, we're both lighting up the same area. So it's like my my light rays aren't as good as yours, but as soon as you light it up, I should be able to see it. Obviously, we know that's bullshit, but 
there were the ancients. I mean, this is how it all started. And I, I, oh, go ahead. I was just, I didn't mean to, but I was going to say, I really think that there's a lot to both of them because as I was telling you prior, you know, you can look at the inside of the eye and we can, we can certainly share that on the screen here. It looks like a light. It looks like a light bulb. I was telling patients that for years before I even read about that, that theory. Um, but, uh, I, I believe that also the reflectivity aspect of it, like you were saying, you know, how Plato said like can only see like, right? So I view it as kind of a Wi-Fi source in a way. So you have the sun, you have a light source. That is the one source that you need to connect to the other source to make the connection, like to the Wi-Fi of you and I. Now that connection can be good. That can be a good, strong connection where you and I can see each other in real time. Or maybe there's something that I need to help make that connection better for me. So I have a better mount, a better modem here. Maybe I have a hardwired connection and that would be what I consider to be the glasses, the contacts or whatever. But let's go back to why did you even need those in the first place? If I'm born and you're born and we have the same development of our light bulb, why is my light bulb stronger than yours or whatever words you want to use? And that goes back into the, the maybe is that anatomical? Is that physiological? Is that the realm that we live in? Or is that, you know, the food that we, that we eat? And, you know, you go back into uh how the modern food uh industry has been manipulated and coinciding with the uh the um, introduction of the carnegie uh, rockefeller uh, allopathic medical groups in the early 1900s and how nutrition really delved off from medicine that way so that goes back into that too yeah and i didn't think of it that way that you were talking about earlier about how even familial and cultural influences can affect someone's eyesight because i mean you really don't connect those two together because eyesight is more of like a i mean if, when when you were talking about it bro about putting some piece of something in front of the eye and the light that shit is magic like if you really think about it because like we don't know like light like i look at this light bulb in my fucking room right now we don't know how that works like we just know we flip a switch and it just turns on and that's it we look at something either you see it good or you don't and that's just the way it's always been. But if you really look at it, I mean, it's it's it's, it's fascinating. And, and and once upon a time when I was in high school, I wanted to be a cardiologist for the longest time. So I was in the nursing program at my school and I did all that. And then obviously life had other plans and I never became a cardiologist. So when people ask me about how I'm able to sometimes retain information, obviously I take notes, but also because I was in that medical learning, you know, building a mind palace, understanding how to retain certain information for certain tests, which, I mean, as a doctor, you, even people who do surgeries, like you got like a surgeon or somebody crazy, they have to understand that not everything is going to be in a textbook on top of that. How you said anatomy changes. So when they're in there, they got to know what they're looking at, how they got to make those incisions and all that crazy shit. And I can't imagine having to operate on someone's eyeball or someone's brain or someone's heart I mean, I, I wanted to be there, but I mean, never say never, right? Because life is like that and things are subject to change. But I came from that. I came from memorizing medical terms and things of, of that nature. And it kind of has translated into this whole conspiracy realm of things. And I mean, it, if you repeat things enough times, you start to remember them. So, you know, I mean, there's always that aspect to it, too. I have Absolutely. here in the 5th century B.C., uh, and I looked how to how to say this, and I forgot already. Empedocles, uh, Empedocles. suggested Empedocles suggested that everything was made up of four elements: fire, air, earth, and water. He believed that Aphrodite made the human eye out of the four elements, and that she lit the fire in the eye. 
but shown out from the eye making sight possible. So what you were talking about was like pretty much like an, a light bulb, right? And we have here the narrative fallacy of the ancients. Like, hey, this goddess was the one that actually made our eyeball. Like, this is, this is, what's the, what's the eye in the Lord of the Rings? Fucking Sauron. Sauron, like, you know, Sauron. like some crazy fucking mm -hmm. thing up the top of Darting the tower. Around, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we have this guy, and then in the year around 400 B.C., a mission theory was held by Plato, Daddy Plato. 300 B.C., Euclid, right, the founder or father of geometry, wrote optics and catoptrics. Uh, uh, Hopefully I said that right. Don't fucking crucify me if I did. In, in which he studied the properties of sight, and then Euclid proposed that the visual ray emitted from the eye traveled in straight lines and then he had some obviously a bunch of geometry and shit like that which goes above my head and some argue that euclid's version of emission theory was purely metaphorical because he said that the it traveled in straight line and described the laws of reflection and mathematical studied math mathematically studied the appearance of objects by direct vision and by reflection so some people are saying his emission theory was purely metaphorical highlighting mainly the geometrical relations between eyes and objects so you're always going to have again these guys were almost spot on which is what's kind of scary that they mm -hmm. were i mean if you really think about it back then i mean not saying that you didn't have to work back then but we don't have the distractions that we do today especially you know like you don't have fucking social media that's you're on social media i don't know how many hours a day or whoever you know if, if, if you like a little bit here a little bit there a little bit there adds up at the end of the week these people either you were a peasant and you worked all the time and really didn't understand uh, like studying and, and knowledge and all this shit or you were a higher up and that's all you did you just studied and, and learned things for for forever so it's like almost like what manly p hall did he was he had two sugar mamas and yeah. from yeah. that he was able to travel and do all this what crazy a wild shit. wild guy wild guy that guy well, you imagine? I mean, uh, it's just like you think fake news is a new thing. You think that a story embellishes a new thing. And what uh, what do we know about these two sugar mamas? You know what I mean? Uh, what more is to that? And how oil? Um, well, of course. But, you know, circulation of the press back then was was uh, the primary way of doing things. Right. So it's mm -hmm. just amazing how this guy blows up after that. You know, these two unnamed oil tycoons that he has this supposed relationship with, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, you know. Well, wow. I mean, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I get what you're getting at. So we have here from from 1011 to 1021 AD, and I put his other name, Al-Hazen, which is the father of mm -hmm. modern optics. He published the Book of Optics. And this is the extra, the the arguments against the widely accepted extra mission theory of vision and proposed the modern intromission theory. So he was the first one to come up with the idea like, hey, bro, we got shit coming into the eyes, reflecting, doing its thing, and being interpreted. He was the first one to uh, come up with this idea. And it's probably one of the, I mean, other than, than Isaac Newton, with the, the book that he published after that, uh, you know, one of the greatest works of for optics. And the book, it was the first one to use scientific theory. And he has a bunch of different things in there, right? And there's a, I don't know if you know about this, bro, but do you know about the, the formulation of Al-Hazen? Do you know about that? The formulations? Yeah, the I'm formula. Of, I think it was like the formula of Al-Hazen or something like that, where it was like some formula 
that he had it, it reflects off the eye in a certain way and I didn't get into it because I don't understand it but some powers of positive integers some crazy shit bro it's like a, that. yeah the Al has in formulation or something probably should have told you before the episode bro. I have Al Hazen's problem. Yeah, Al Hazen's problem. That's the one right there. Uh, okay, okay. Yeah, something about mirrors, candles that reflect. Okay, so this is essentially, from what I can see from the figure, it's, it's like the re actual mirror reflection. So I think this is when they started really scheming with optics of lenses and trying to use like an actual glass mirror. Because I remember reading um, prior to him, like in the Indian cultures and stuff, they had writings of these seeing stones or moon stones that they would shave and they would, um, uh, what's called lathe, where you, you take a, um, a piece of stone and you're cutting away and you're creating that curvature. And that's where the physics actually comes into because the rate of that lens is curvature in your glasses is the rate at which the angle changes. Mm. So like I said earlier about how the light comes into the lens, like the like the Pink Floyd prism, and then it gets bent into all that. Well, that is from that triangle shape. Well, if you do a different rate of curvature based off of like a C shape or a different thing like that, as the light comes into the eye, it will be reflected or refracted in different ways. So I think that's what they're using with that. So. Yeah, I did not understand it, so I wasn't even going to get into it. <laughs> but I, I, I Probably what they're going with, so... Yeah, yeah. No, you probably understand. Did they make you guys study any of this shit when you were in medical school at all? Like about oh, history yeah. and all this shit? Not the history. Yeah, that's the one. The history and the business side, they conveniently live out. But they start with the history when the allopathic side takes over. So you're basically learning about a big fight that happened between a doctor in New York City named Charles Prentice and another doctor, an oculist named Henry Noyes. And this was 1885. Uh, in New York City. And uh, Charles Prentice was a self-contained kind of doctor doing eye exams and giving glasses and doing it all in one. Henry Noyes, as we know from that term, Oculus is probably from some establishment or whatever. And what year was down. this? This was in 1885, I believe. And they made you learn about this thing in particular? This is where the beginning of the American Association for Optometry and Ophthalmology became. So just uh, more of a dividing line between the medical and allopathic structures and, um, and uh, surgeries and different things, and really just an effort to try to gain more patients and, and recruit more money, basically. So, but all of this prior stuff, like you had mentioned about Al-Hazan or even George Bardish, who was one of the Renaissance guys that mm. started the lens making in Italy and stuff like that, or even Babylon back then, um, they had some writings in the Code of Hammurabi about how to perform like an eye surgery and they had a, a amount of money where a ledger, you know, if I do this for you, then you give me this much money for your eyes. So I thought that was pretty interesting. <laughs> yeah. So uh, not only have we learned uh, about what to do, but also how to charge for it, I guess, back then. So interesting. Yeah, because how, how do you even put a price on that? Like, hey, I mean, and bro, would you even trust anybody in the Babylonian times to work on your eyes? I mean, you look at the early 1800s, and you look at these oculists, and the admission into their society was to have a light hand, which is interesting. They were these the light or steady or something like that, because one of their procedures was this 
um, very informal cataract surgery that they would do. Yeah, and, uh, I got all that. All that. Yeah. So I, I just just think that some dude coming at your eye with a scalpel uh, is uh, is more of a horror movie than I would like. But but again, I, think- I do it all the time when I do surgery. Was it John of God, the one that was doing the eye scraping? What's the purpose of scraping somebody's eye? Is that to take cataracts off of there, right? The stuff that grows on there? When you say scrape, I mean, you know, you have a lot of stories about like um, the Native Americans and stuff. They would use a lot of breast milk and uh, tobacco formulations, and that would create sort of a paste that you would take off growths of the eye. Sometimes the UV exposure from the sun can cause growth from the corners of the eye to kind of grow over. Um, that was a very, um, uh, very prominent issue. Cataracts, of course, um, where they would push it out of the way. But the on top of, or the scraping, it could also be more of a, um, you know, you look into scripture and how Jesus cured the blind and he spit into the, into the mud. What was he actually using there? Was it a pumice stone? Was he scraping people's eyes away with sand and using it as sort of, like a debriding sort of way, because you do that as well. Um, but why do all these eye problems form? Unless you're not really taking care of your eyes, they, they tend to take care of themselves. So uh, a lot of trauma and stuff like that can occur too. So That's wild, bro. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, it's because he was mm-hmm. spitting it in. And how you said you can use that abrasive medium on there and, you know, just mm-hmm. a massage away, whatever it was. And then voila, hey, mm-hmm. you know, I'm cured. I can't, you know, what's crazy is it probably didn't write about all the people that Jesus tried to heal that he didn't heal. And yeah. then, <laughs> you know? he got that one guy, but the 11 after him, that's why there were 12 disciples, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's like they only show the good shit. They don't show the bad stuff. It's like, I oh, mean, he like, had like, a whole hey. case of malpractice against him. Like, Man, you know, Manly Hall's got his oil tycoons running his business. And then, you know, Jesus had the Bible running his, right? So. Yeah, that's crazy, yeah. dude. So Al has uh, Al reason against the extra mission theory pointing to the fact that the eyes can be damaged by looking directly at bright light. So it's like if the light comes out of our eyeballs, how the fuck can I not look at the sun? And, you know, you have people who say, oh, I, I, I sun gaze. You know, I look at the sun mm-hmm. and I go, oh, yeah. I mean, I know people who spread their ass cheeks and put their asshole so their sun, yeah. the sun hits their asshole. I mean, is that good the for you, too? The fifth eye thing or whatever, yeah. <laughs> sun in your fifth eye. The third eye, bro. That's the third. Mm-hmm. That's the eye of Horus. So he claimed the low probability that the eye can fill the entirety of space as soon as the eyelids are opened. Uh, as soon as the eyelids are opened, as an observer looks up into the night sky. Using the intromission theory as a foundation, he formed his own theory that an object emits rays of light from every point on its surface, which then travels in all directions, so thereby allowing some light in a viewer's eyes. According to this theory, the object being viewed is considered to be a compilation of an infinite number of points from which rays of light are projected. And that's fucking wild, because this is the year... What the fuck year is this? 1100 or something? uh, 10-11. So this guy, bro, what blows my mind about these guys, because what were they you know how do you even begin to comprehend some idea some crazy fucking idea like this you know like plato and the theory of forms and things that that live uh, outside of this realm and outside of the time you know the fabric of time and space and one of the things that i wanted to get into you uh into uh, with you is the observer effect right because we know that matter itself uh, acts differently when it's being observed versus when it's not being observed so it's like do the eyes have some sort of power that 
we don't know about because how you said maybe it might be different than what we're just being told i mean the mainstream narrative will tell you xyz but me person no offense to you but i know that the medical uh system is to there to keep you sick you know what i mean not saying that there are bad doctors i'm sure there's crazy good doctors but if you know if it's a one and done with glasses or something you can't make money off of that you know what i mean you got to keep every what is every two years i got to renew my my prescription i gotta get a checkup so you know they charge me for the checkup they charge me for the contacts that i get oh they own oh, they expire too bro you know they expire you don't use them a certain amount of time the you know the glasses they expire oh i'm starting to get headaches well you need to get checked up and need a new pair of glasses well it's like you know plus they put on all these the blue lights and all of our our stuff on all our screens at all times we're looking at a fucking screen bro you know what I mean? So it's like it's this Ouroboros, this system that they create in order to keep us coming back. And, dude, I mean, look at Big Pharma, dude. My, my dad's got MS. And you know how much is his his treatment is per month? It's like thirty to $40,000 a month for a 30-day supply for the rest of his if life. It, if it works, yes. Yeah. And, and we don't even and, know if it works. And, and, yeah, man, you know, you look at this is this is kind of the thing that I was talking about is how in the past five years, I, you know, learned less than I know about more than I thought I know. And it's a weird statement. But the point is, is the more you delve into this allopathic reductionistic medical program that, that you're that you're taught, it's a very base le level of anatomy and physiology that you can as a doctor choose to delve into it more, which you took an oath to, or you can sort of just stay in this commercialized surface level uh, uh, um, accessory driven uh, mindset where everything deteriorates, everything has an expiration, everything is is constantly preventative maintenance instead of instead of actual actual uh, uh, prevention and 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 in making sure that it starts from the ground up. I can't tell you how many patients coming in for um, chronic dry eyes and allergies, and they've been to five doctors, six doctors. They prescribe and drop here. You've been to a doc. You've been to the eye doctor. Hey, take this drop. It's fine. Take this drop. It's fine. And in reality, it's dryness and allergies that are caused by a chronic uh, psoriatic knee that a volleyball player had an injury from back what in college fuck? and she's had an arthritic knee for 10 years and every time her arthritis in her knee acts up it creates a reactive arthritis in her eye and that creates this al seasonal allergy you know eye you can get arthritis to, in your eye oh it all connects my friend it all connects that's really? one of the other reasons that i really like the pi as well is because I can tell about your toes by looking in your eyes. I can tell you about the back of your brain by looking at the front of your brain. I can't tell you how many patients I have uh, conversations about their upset stomach and their eyes and how that connects and uh, how cataracts are caused. Yeah, by looking at the sun, sun gazing is actually a good thing. Uh, low amounts of UV are actually beneficial to cellular activity. High so amounts directly of UV. though, is that mm -hmm. okay? It's all about the angle. So when you're looking at like right now, it's sort of sundown-ish. If you have about 15, 15 degrees from the horizon, which is basically if you just kind of go like that, you'll notice. Don't pull a Donald Trump looking at the eclipse without anything, okay? <laughs> but the point is, is that everything that they make us afraid of, UV light, um, uh, uh, bacteria on our skin, sanitizing our hands, how much have we done that nowadays? It, it really, you just got to flip everything. That's what I've learned. I've learned that we're electric beings with an electric potential that are affected by magnetic fields. And that's 
everybody. We all have a charge to us and we're not told about this charge. We're not told about how to direct it. And that's what you came back and you said, I think that's where the secret is. We got to learn more about that kind of stuff. You know, uh, I, I take pride in, in learning about doctors like William Rice and the Rice therapies with sound and how cool we can affect cancer. Is it William cells. Rice? Rife, R-I-F-E, Rice therapy, uh, uh, pulsing sounds into cancer cells and breaking them out with sound instead of uh, using, you know, um, invasive tumor methods of removal, stuff like that. Uh, when I do cataract surgery, it's a very, it used to be a very, very invasive procedure where I'd have to cut the entire side of your eye open. And now we only use a small incision with a laser. Well, why don't we break that up with even a crystal or use something even more or less invasive, right? So it's, uh, it's a long road, but uh, it's more interesting when you learn about it this way than you just open up the textbook. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, this is why I wanted to have you on, bro, because I wouldn't have known any of this shit if it wasn't for you. So I have here the anatomy of the eye and what is an oculus? And is that the, the modern day term for it? Do they still call them oculus or uh, optometrists? Is that how you say it? So there's a lot of, like I said, there's a lot of turf war. Um, and you've heard of ophthalmologists, you've heard mm -hmm. of optometrists. And of course, we learned oculus which was new to me before when we first started talking. And I think it's all interchangeable because back when it was in Babylonian times, whatever you want to call it, an oculus to up to essentially I have as early as about the 1890s when it kind of got flipped into this optometrist, ophthalmologist. And that was really, I think, the introduction of the allopathic system, like I said, based off of the petroleum, Rockefeller, Carnegie influence that they went to the first 13 med schools in the country and they said we're going to do it this this and this way and we're going to do everything they threw out 3000 years of western medicine you and keep then saying started petroleum what are you what are mm -hmm. you are you the one are you do you subscribe to that idea that petroleum is used in everything so it's Absolutely. it's pushed and everything and you know the, the lizards are out to make a bunch of money from it it's it's in the plastic on my headphones it's in the microplastics that are in the aerosols that are dumped on us in the atmosphere. It is in the graphene that has been injected into people that took that jab. Uh, hopefully you didn't, if you're listening and you want to have kids. Um, and it's all the above. I hate to say it that way. I know it's a basic answer, but it's true. I, I subscribe to any product that I've had to prescribe the representatives of that big pharma agency, the only ones that come back and talk to me every month are those the ones for the three-day um, three antibiotic that I put you on for an eye infection, or is it for the products for the chronic severe glaucoma that my poor, uh, you know, uh, lovely grandma patient has to take every three weeks that runs out, that expires. It has all of those things you just told me about the accessories. Well, they treat medicine as an accessory just as well, right? Why can you pay out of pocket for a burger at Burger King and you can pay out of pocket for medicine that saves your dad for MS? It's just, it's just. This. Well, they wouldn't let him, they wouldn't let him buy it. I mean, but continue. I'll tell you after they wouldn't let him buy it. But uh, this idea that, is it true that some of these companies give doctors incentives to, you know, push their products? I've heard people, they get a prescription. So the doctor steps out. Uh, they just so happen to be visited by somebody from a different company. Doctor comes in with a new script. Like, oh, no, no, he used this instead. It's like. I haven't had any personal experience with that kind of weirdness, but I can say that 
there are definitely doctors I've worked with that will choose products a little bit more regularly than the other product based off of their interactions with those individuals. Now, fortunately in the eye, I, I, I am in a, um, a type of setting where I'm not dealing with a lot of uh, means with no ends. Typically it's a see problem, fix problem kind of thing, whether it's glasses or a piece of metal stuck in your eye or a cataract. The long-term um, kind of conditions, glaucoma being the very, uh, very well-known one, I think is treated completely wrong, to be honest with you. We only know one thing, and that's the pressure of your eyes, like a blood pressure in your body. And we don't even know what controls that. But we know in glaucoma, it's supposedly too high, kind of like high blood pressure. Well, high blood pressure is another example, like my dad. I would rather he go work out and try to run that high blood pressure down than just take a petroleum-based pill that is designed to not only interact with your enzymes of your liver incorrectly, but also influence the uptake of different hormones in your body and express them differently. So by that uptake of something and that expression in an outward incorrect way, you're interacting with that magnetic and electrical field in the opposite way, like I told you. So from a very, very small cellular level, you're already doing it the wrong way, in my opinion. So wow. any type of chronic medicine, right? Even if it's an allergy med, even if it's, um, um, uh, 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 all of us uh, uh, in this um, uh, generation are on some sort of petroleum, you know, Zoloft or a uh, anti-anxiety or everybody, all my friends are on Addy, you know what I mean? They want uh, to, to, to stay on their computer. That's all, that's all the same thing. It's all just to kind of get you fried in a different way. What do you think about marijuana? Do you, cause I know glaucoma, one of the main things is to a prescription for weed. <laughs> So I am a huge proponent of it, uh, and I personally, it's all anecdotal stuff. I can only tell you how I, it's made me feel, but from a physical, mental, and emotional uh, standpoint of how it was learning all of the bullshit that I had to go through the past three years trying to practice and just dealing with colleagues of mine, just like I told you when I first reached out to you, completely flip and switch and um, you know, friends of mine uh, getting Bell's palsy from getting the jab, or um, I've already had some patients that have had some miscarriage issues, et cetera. It's just a lot. Mm-hmm. And the only thing I really had to come home to instead of looking at your pretty face on YouTube was, <laughs> was to be able to kind of just relax. And that was the only thing that really helps and is still helping uh, rather than some prescription petroleum-based pill that I have to take twice a day. I'd yeah, rather take the plant that grows out of the ground. And dude, it's just that, right? It's a plant that grows from soil, water, and sunlight, and that's bad. That 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 you know, and, and then it just so happens to be that either when you ingest it a certain way, or when you light it up, and you inhale the smoke, you just happen to feel certain things. Some of which are medicinal, one hundred percent. But that's been outlawed. And when my dad first got his 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 diagnosis, right? Because we thought it had been a stroke. He has di- he's diabetic too. He just had a heart attack two years ago now. Uh, so he's got all these health issues, right? And one of the things was when they gave him the diagnosis, the doctor even told him, he's like, hey, we're 85% sure this is what you got. It's like, wait, what, what do you mean 85%? My dad didn't have health insurance at the time when he, when he got first got diagnosed. So my dad's like, hey, give me a, give me a script so I can go and get the prescription. It's not a prescription. It's a treatment. So it's different than a prescription. You can, you know, refill a prescription. This is a treatment that is 
done a completely different way. And the guy wouldn't, he wouldn't tell him how much it was. Oh, how much is it? No, he said, he t- literally to my dad's face, he told him, you, you wouldn't be able to afford it if, even if I told you how much it would be. My dad looked at the guy and he's like, how do you know what I can fucking afford and what I can't afford? That's my business. You don't know me. Oh, and he's like, no, it's very expensive, very expensive. You're not giving. Long story short, we found out how much it was. We found out how much they sell it to the, the company that sells it. So, because one of our, one of my dad's friends, his wife is, uh, I guess, a broker or somebody for for medicine. They sell it to the insurance or whoever it was that distributes it, for six hundred dollars a piece, for the generic brand. They turn around and they sell it to people. For the the cheapest that we were able to find, six thousand, eight thousand, ten thousand dollars. But depending on which brand you get, and depending on which method, either orally or injection, there are some that were twenty thousand, thirty thousand, forty thousand dollars, depending on which you wanted to take. My dad opted for the injection, so it was a little bit more. But you could have taken, you know, the generic pill or whatever it was. And again, who the fucking af- bro for the rest of your life, every single month, if you have to fork up twenty, thirty thousand dollars. And the thing is, you don't have to take it. It's cool if you don't take it. If you don't take it, that's fine. You know, the doctor was like, hey, if you don't take it, you know, we'll see you in a few months in a wheelchair. It's like, wait, what? So they implant, right? They, they implant this idea in people's brains like a parasite. It's a fucking parasite. These people are vampires. They're psychic vampires. They implant themselves in there. And why is it, bro? I mean, you being in the medical field, why is it that people, when they learn that they have a certain disease, they die quicker than when they didn't know that they had a certain disease? It, 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 you know, when you get the flu, right, when you had, when you last had an upper respiratory infection, um, you were down, you were stressed out, your eyelid was twitching, something was off in that magnetic and that electrical field of yours. And you said it best yourself that the reality realm, the, the, the phrase that we live in is when you're sick, oh, you got to go get to the doctor, you got to go take something, you got to go, you're sick, you're down, you got to stay away. And that all adds up and there's an absolute mental component to it of, okay, I'm not going to be feeling that good, but if I keep telling myself that I'm not going to feel any better. Right. So the, um, the, uh, sort of conveyor belt aspect of it is when you come into these specialists, they are in that myopic or which means short sighted, which means very small, you know, sort of viewpoint in their entire way of practicing. So they see this problem. They know that there's X amount of ways to fix it per se that go along with the standard literature that the people above them that trained them went through and they would not dare break out of that system mm. because as soon as they do so, whether they have the good intentions or not, even if they were to make more money by upselling and saying, well, we prefer the injection that's four times a month rather than twice a month because of the expediency or they'd make some BS up. The other aspect of it is, well, their peers may not use that method as much. So they would say, well, why is Dr. So-and-so doing that? That's not up to standard of care. Standard of care is standard of care. And then you go back to these institutionalized methods of, of, of deciding these things. And it goes back to, you know, this is, a, this is the way Pythagoras determined the Pythagorean theorem because of this is his theory. Now, granted, that, that stayed. But you look at the, the, the modernizing of these theories and how to uh, base on these standards of care. And it's just them wanting to fall in line and not mm-hmm. wanting to take any flag. And, wow. And, and, and it's a lot that of those, bad? A lot of those doctors are the type of doctor that 
can't have a stand-up conversation like you and I and look a patient in the face and say, okay, unfortunately, you have a pretty serious condition that we have a good chance of, uh, you know, just turning the conversation into that upswing positive method than reality. Okay, well, you're in the system now. We're going to see you back in four, year, in four months, either in a wheelchair or this, and, and then you're already into that yeah. kind of, all right, I'm in this lane. I'm in this, this method of, of thinking. And as soon as you do that, I think that there's a lot of, of detriment because you're already starting your mental polarity in a negative state mm-hmm. to receive that information. Absolutely. And, and, you know, we've always heard there's more than meets the eye, right? There, there's always that, that, that idea. And one of the things that I also want to talk to you about was the visible light spectrum, right? Because how many things are going on around our eyes, right? Our, 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 you're talking about we're magnetic, right? You're on some Nikola Tesla shit right now where everything is a force field. Everything is energy, right? Which is a hundred percent true. I mean, if you really come to look at it, we're just a bunch of atoms that just so happen to come together and form something solid. But there's actually, if you were to add up all the empty space and all the atoms all throughout the entire world, there's actually more empty space than there is actual filled in space. So we're, we're essentially nothing, but you know, we talk about all these things and I, I a hundred percent believe in, again, there's the, the eye only picks up what 0.0025 of the light spectrum. 400 nanometers. Mm-hmm. What what is that? Uh, 400 to 500 nanometers, which is a sixth of a meter, which or, or ninth of a meter, excuse me. So it's the the visible spectrum, like you had said. We only see a good tenth of that, or even that. And you go back into um, intra versus extra mission. Okay, well, if we know that there's an entire spectrum, right? And I'm going to be in my net my Tesla gig and say that spectrum is just an entire wave. Okay. One big wave is the reality condensed down to the one tiny little wave is a photon. Okay. It's all in the same way. So when you look at it that way, I think that there's a lot more that can be said about how the uh, electrons and the pro and the protons and all these mag, you know, all those come together. So uh, it, it's, it's as you, you know, how, how do you describe a photon? Max Planck said it's a particle of light. There's no particle. What do you, you can't look at a piece of light. You know what I mean? You can study it as a wave for sure. And then you look at how that wave can hit other waves and then create a third wave. And we call that excitation. So when you have a wave come in and hit the retina or the back of the eye, it's basically like a big receiver uh, for wireless internet. So it's going to hit that up and it's going to cause that to create a signal. And that signal is what we call, uh, uh, well, the term is transduction, but what it does is it lights up and it excites. And that excitation is that photon or that wave hitting that other wave and creating light or a different wave that we see. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, what if we could make that better? What if we could strengthen that? What if we could use the actual lights that I believe are being cast out by the eye and interact that with the waves that are being built better? And I think that once we get there, you've already said it, cats themselves that have such a reflectivity uh, tigers, you know, felines and stuff are very good with that. Owls at nighttime, stuff like that. I mean, the sky's the limit. You know, there's a reason that that cellular uh, um, uh, material is, is similar between species. And I, I believe it was lizards have a third eye where they, I think they see through it as well. They take certain wavelengths or some shit through it too. They have uh, sometimes a whole eye with a retina and everything on the top of their heads. There's a certain type of lizard that does. 
and we talk about the you know pineal gland how the third eye and all that shit so i don't know if i asked you but what are the duties of a an optometrist or uh, an eye doctor like uh, obviously there's different ones there's eye surgeons and all but what uh, can you share with the listeners maybe what what your duties are as far you know do you diagnose et cetera, et cetera? Everybody that goes through optometry school is, in my opinion, a form of medical school that goes just to the eye rather than um, going through the hoops that the full medical school allopathic program puts you through. So, for example, you go through four years of undergrad college like you would any other school, and then you apply to either the optometry or the medical school that you want to go to. I already knew that I wanted to be an eye doctor, and I knew that if I went to the allopathic program that was going to take at least another eight to 12 years and a lot more student debt. So I knew that the quickest way that I could get into diagnosing, treating and practicing was to go into optometry school. So I went there for four years and then you can do a year residency where you specialize in a certain part of the eye or not. That is an optional residency. This is different from medical school where you go through four years of just general toes to ears to to, uh, hairs on your head and everything in between, and then a four-year residency where you specialize in a part of the body, whether it's a residency in internal medicine, a residency in neurology, residency in the eyes, which would be ophthalmology. After that residency, if you want to do surgery like retina surgery, glaucoma, cornea, that's another three to four-year fellowship, right? So you're already looking at 15 to 18 years of schooling. So I knew that I could get rid of seven to eight years by just going into optometry school. At the time, I just wanted to be an athlete. I was a big football player in college, wanted to just train athletes, life was good, all that stuff. But then I learned about how you can connect your toes to your eyes and I can talk to you about your high cholesterol by looking at your eyes and how all of that connected. And I had some very good mentorship at the time that got me into disease. So I am a medical optometrist. I do basically both of what a op- general ophthalmologist and a general optometrist does. I can give you glasses and contacts. In certain states, I can do LASIK on you. And then in other areas, I can't. And that is where that mm. um, division came back in way back in the 1800s about who can do what. And there was a Supreme Court decision that came down in the 1920s that said that the states can regulate what optometrists do or not. So for a state like New England, or states in the New England area, for example, they can't even prescribe eye drops. They can just do glasses and contacts. In states like uh, uh, Louisiana is a very progressive one, Arizona and Oklahoma, you can do certain types of laser surgeries, you can do certain types of cataracts and stuff like that. So I was practicing down in Texas and I stayed there mostly for the scope of practice because for the last 10 years, I was just in ophthalmology. So I'm a medical optometrist, I was working just with ophthalmologists doing cataract, glaucoma, retina surgeries. Some of those surgeries I was doing myself. For example, I worked at a community clinic right next to a big, busy highway. There's a lot of undocumented working activity in Texas, let's say the least. So I saw a lot of workers come off the street or the highways that were grinding concrete that had pieces of concrete stuck in their eyes. So I'd be digging that out of their cornea, suturing it up. I love that. That was That's, that's what I really liked. Um, what so the then, fuck, bro? yeah, yeah. So then I would take that patient or I take your dad, for example, we take a look at his diabetes and then if he had certain diabetic issues, we do maybe retina surgeries on that, or you can do certain injections in the eye. So I know it's a very long winded answer, but it really comes down to how much doctoring you want to do out of school. 
all of the kids that were way ahead of me grade-wise, I got every single multiple choice answer correct. A lot of them are just working at a target and they're just doing glasses and contacts and they're not using <laughs> yeah. all of the stuff that we learned. I mean, granted, I'm a specialist. I went to disease for 10 years, all that, but all this stuff I'm telling you, I'm telling to you because it's basic. And here you are shaking your head that you can understand it. So I, I don't know if people just don't want to be, you know, put under a microscope, you know, to, to put, put a pun on it. But a lot of, a lot of patients, when uh, patients, a lot of doctors act like patients where they are good at being told what to do, but not think for themselves. And mm -hmm. even in that little box, we see it today. How many of these docs are just lockstep, you know, with what the next thing is. And um, I've been fortunate to not be that type of thinking, I guess. I, I think I'm finding that out more and more each day. It's, uh, it's burned a lot of bridges in my profession, but you know, that's what you got to do nowadays, I guess. So. And it's that bad when you go against the narrative and the main, how you're talking about the main practice, they shun you like that. It, it's, it's a thing where you can openly see it like, bro, what the fuck's your problem type of thing? Like, why aren't you doing what we're telling you to do? Absolutely. I mean, I, that's why I left my last practice in Dallas was because ultimately there were a lot of um, preliminary frictional things occurring just by the local, you know, for example, when the mask mandate came down, you know, I work with microscopes and I work with glass and I have to be able to look at very fine material. So mask will just fog up glass, you know, automatically. So when your dad goes in for an exam, they put you on that microscope and you have to be very still so we can look at things. And it was just horrendous. So I was getting in trouble with um, my HR staff, you know, the suits in my office telling me how I had to be better presenting to my customers about their, their safety. And, and I'm like, bro, your grandma's about to lose her eye due to glaucoma. Okay. I want to take my mask down so you can hear that I feel for your grandma's sight and you're more concerned that I don't have it over my nose. And now we're going to kill her with COVID, bro. <laughs> You know, and it has been a personal, it's been a personal way of being a doctor, knowing the things I know, and also trying to relay that to the world and, and having the TV tell you that exact opposite each day. You know, I, even today, seeing patients, I have patients that are still wearing masks and I'm a, I do telemedicine now. So I do patient uh, care over the phone. And it's like, I don't know. I don't know how people think sometimes. I don't think they think. We could get into the NPC theory, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, we definitely can. I wanted to get into the, we'll get into the anatomy of the eye here in a little bit. Cause I wanted to talk about the copial cipher and obviously what that leads us to with the oculus order. So this is what sparked our conversation too. The, and what, you know, I said, Hey, this is a crazy document, right? A book, this book with uh, it's like green with gold on it. And it went more than 260 years without being cracked, which is wild. So the copial cipher is an 18th century handwritten encrypted manuscript. It has 105 pages and a combination of 75,000 symbols mixed with Roman and Greek letters. So it went undeciphered for 260 years until 2011. Now, they used quote-unquote modern computer computer techniques but i see that as ai okay they use some sort of algorithm that was able to recognize the patterns within the num the the letters and the numbers and these symbols and they were even they didn't get it 100 percent because there were certain symbols that could have meant anything i mean it could have been a hundred 
thousand different words, whatever it was, but they got the gist of it. They got the 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 main part of it. And it turns out it's called the homophonic or homophonic cipher. And it's estimated to go back from, uh, to the 1760s to 1780. The reason that they narrowed it down to that was because in within that the manuscript they saw something that was referenced in 1745 and they referenced it in past tense so they were able to kind of lock it around that that date and it was discovered in the east berlin academy after the cold war and it is now in a private collection at the time of the writing of this uh, article that I was looking at in different sources, YouTube, and there was, dude, there was really not a lot of stuff on this. Like, if you really, really looked around, there was maybe yeah. a couple videos on it. I was able to find one of the translations on the on Scribe that I had, and look through it, and it was just like a breakdown of everything, uh, like like almost word for word. So, researchers they were focused on the Roman and Greek characters. And it turned out that the Roman characters were n what they call nulls, and some of them were spaces, right? And and in between all that was the act, you know the symbol was the actual letter. And after the term, how you mentioned earlier, light hand came up, that was cross referenced, and they were able to find that they were able to narrow it down as to you know what it could potentially be, and because of that, they were able to find the oculus order right they were able to reference it to some secret society and like what the fuck the oculus order and the reason this really caught my eye bro if, if you look at the word oculus right i have the oculus riff right the vr headset and if you look at the word oculus it looks like a cultist so mm -hmm. that's what really caught me and honestly that's what when my, my who was i think it was a uh, paranoid american was the one that had sent me the copio cipher uh, mm -hmm. a video the one that i sent you because mm -hmm. i forgot what the fuck me and him were talking about and he's like hey bro something something or he's like i think we're on the phone or something he's like oh they had there was a secret society that was only eye doctors and i was like what the fuck mm -hmm. what are we talking about and he had sent me that so obviously i went down that rabbit hole so we now know the cipher was created by a secret society based in germany known as the high enlightened oculus order of wolfenbutel or just the oculus and they were founded by a, a Count Frederick August von Veltheim in 1742 or 1745, depending where you look. And they called their members high enlightened. And they used sight as a metaphor for knowledge. Okay. And the manuscript consists of three different parts. And it had interesting names. Uh, the Book of Law, which reminds me of Crowley's The Book of the Law, right? of uh, the book of law of the enlightened and then it has two symbols and then the word secret part the second one was reliable old news increased by new observations of a symbol ray and then third a seventh chapter about the matire ecoso sois something like that some word mm -hmm. so throughout the three parts there's various topics that are covered uh, the initiation ritual for this secret society, rank identifiers, history of the formation of the Oculus, equipment descriptions and explanations, Masonic regalia, practices, and even some what they termed radical political ideas of the time. Because we know that according to the, to the 
the history, uh, Pope Clement VII condemned Catholics from becoming Freemasons and uh, eventually banned the secret society by issuing the first papal decree against the Masons on April 28, 1738. And obviously, you know, we have uh, <laughs> the various conspiracies, because mind you, this is post uh, Knights Templar. Mm -hmm. We have the conspiracies that they were satanic worshipers, they were sodomites, or they were doing, you know, witchcraft. And it's always right, like, you know, the whole thing about secret societies, there's always got to be some butt play in there for some fucking reason. It's always something about the butt that these guys are upset. That, that, that fifth eye thing, dude. Like your yeah. buddy was trying to sun or whatever. So. <laughs> yeah, I have a friend of mine who like, he's like, yeah, dude, if, if it's good to get, you know, uh, sun on your skin, then it's probably good to get sun on your asshole because it never sees the light of day. So he'll go into the woods lay down spread his cheeks for a little bit he sunbathes his asshole which is i mean hey more hey more power you're not hurting anybody more power hey, to you do you think oh boy so the members of the oculus order who used the manuscript depending on what you look some people say that they were actually doctors some other people say that they weren't doctors depends on where you look but nonetheless they were fascinated by eye surgery and by ophthalmology I hope, hopefully I said that right. Did I say that right? Mm -hmm. ophthalmology. ophthalmology. And the Oculus devoted themselves to ophthalmology and the preoccupation with eyes and seeing. It is reflected in their rituals, regalia, and their logogram, which was like a little, a little eye. Mm -hmm. And there is no evidence that they actually conducted any procedures, although there are various pages within the manuscript on the anatomy of the eye and the origins and treatments of eye diseases. So, so this the, the guy that started it, Mr. Count Frederick August von Veltheim, supposedly, and I was talking to you about it before, I didn't write this down, but he left uh, a trunk behind. And he didn't even let his heir open it up. He said that he needed to get permission from, what was it? What would uh, you say? His, own, his firstborn son and heir was not allowed to access the trunk and contents of the cipher unless it was given permission by the local duke, whoever that guy was. The local so, duke. What it, in the it said fuck? the local duke. So, so he left this, and within that, supposedly there was some artifacts, and there was like a model of the eye. You had the the what the hell is that shit that they used to scrape the eye? What's it called? The oh, thing that they used to scrape the eye. Yeah, the 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 spike. Whatever it had a bunch of uh, optometrist stuff in there. <laughs> Had a model of an eye that you could take apart. Yeah. And all it had just things. a bunch of scalpels. I mean, from the the positioning of the uh, of the material and that that picture that you're talking about, all those long pointy things. They only do one thing. They either are going to stick something out from the front of the eye, or you're going to push something into the inside of the eye and push something out of the way. Which were basically the two procedures at the time. Which was if you had good enough eyesight and you could see on the front of the eye and the white or something, something to remove. You had that little fine piece of metal, like the tip of my pen here, where you could remove it. And you needed to have that sort of light hand to guide yourself. And then the other longer material that has like the big point, I believe that's what they call a couching uh, uh, instrument. And couching was a type of really early cataract surgery where they literally would just stick that big stick into your eye and they push the white cataract out of the way. So in, in the colored part of your eye, that's where all the nerve endings are for the cornea, the front surface that clear. On the white, it gets a little less sensitive depending on how steady of your hand is. What the fuck? So you can mm -hmm. literally just 
when you guys are scraping a cataract, are you guys cutting it off or just moving it around? So what they were doing back then was these cataracts were getting so bad that it, you looked like your eye was white and cloudy, that it had a cloud in it. And of course, there's varying theories as to what that was called and how that was. But the only way they knew how to get rid of it at the time was to literally push it out of the way. Because the way that it's situated in the eye is it's like a window that is hanging in the middle of the eyeball. And after that certain age or nutritional stuff, and, and nowadays we think it's more UV, of course, but we can get into that. It creates this opaque place that clouds your vision. So you have this vision that is cloudy. You go to this guy, he has a light hand, he pushes the clouds out of your way and you can see the sun again oh, and the light shit. is restored. So that you oh, get all crazy. into this, you know, how um, they had the part of their symbolism was they were the cats watching over the mice. I don't know if you saw that in there. Yeah, the, that's one of their, their emblem. Mm -hmm. One of their emblems. And uh, it's pretty interesting because, they're you sealed. know, they're sealed. How many, how many meanings could you apply to that? You have the big, you know, uh, uh, regalia of the feline, the lions, the cats, you know, the crest of the Tartaria, for example, looking over the piddly mice in the cage of reality that they put them in by pushing that out of their way. Had they not, they would just be blind for the rest of it. Yeah, I have here, since the cats have the ability to see in the dark, it's symbolic for them being able to see or know because they they regarded sight as knowledge, right? So uh, so they knew they were able to see, uh, you know, see through the bullshit and mm -hmm. see the actual knowledge for what it was. But I like the, I like the way you put it, where they're able to push the the cloud out of the way and and you know let the person see. And one of their procedures was, you know, they would uh, put a, this person in in a room, they would sit down. And they would make them read in the dark, right, uh, this blank sheet of paper. And the guy would be like, hey, I can't fucking read because obviously it's blank and you can't see it. So they would they would uh, put, I think it would like they had like a little, they had some little goggles or some shit. So they put little goggles on and they would switch the paper and look at and tell homeboy to read. Or I think it was after they plucked one of the one of the the eyebrows plucked an, plucked an eyebrow out yeah plucked an eyebrow whatever it was it, it wasn't meant to be an actual surgery but it was meant to be symbolic so they plucked the eyebrow they put on the the goggles or whatever it was it was like some little stupid looking goggles and they're like hey read this paper that actually had stuff on it so when homeboy was like oh now i can read so now you know you're ready to to do whatever the fuck it is that they do which obviously i mean it probably involved butts and and a bunch of gay shit i mean that's what the whole you know Something the knights templar and nothing against the gays, right? You know, whatever, do do what thou wilt, or whatever it is that you that you people say or some shit, you know. <laughs> but it's all the wave, right? I guess I don't know. So. The Knights Templar, they had the the two knights on a horse, right? So that was the whole thing with them. It was like you know when they were accused of sodom, uh, sodomy and baphomet and all this shit, the two men on a horse was a homosexual type of thing that was like, Hey, you know, your brethren, well, you're supposed to take your sexual urges out on your brethren. You can't take it out on the women. It's like, what the fuck? You know, like, what are you, you know, that was, yeah, bro. This is crazy as fuck. So the, the, the aim and purpose and objectives of the Oculus society are, are, aren't clear, right? We don't know why they were formed. And apparently this was a parallel text to another text uh, I read, there was a second book, right? This wasn't a, a one-off. It was, you know, a book that supposedly a, uh, a Philip, 
uh, kept the, the the guy's name was in the book. It was Philip or Felipe or something like that. And you know, probably was somebody who was a part of the order and wanted to keep notes or something like that. So historians determined that the members of the Oculus Order were Freemasons, because mind you, this was post ban of the Freemasons and who had established a society to pass down Masonic rites because it does get into explicit details about Masonic regalia and and uh, practices and initiations and whatnot. And the true and most secret teaching of the Lodge passed on to the Masters only was knowledge about the history of Freemasonry and about Masonic rituals and activities. So at the end of the day, it was a Freemasonic movement. And the quote-unquote masterpiece of a master of the Oculus Lodge, the proof of his, was the proof of his true light hand, was the ability to read and write cipher script. So it wasn't even about being a fucking doctor. It wasn't even about being able to scrape things off of people's eyes and have this crazy, you know, uh, precision. It was about being able to write. Which I mean, the guy who wrote this shit was good. I mean, 260 years it wasn't decoded, and it had to be decoded with man and a computer. You know what I mean? To be able to do something like that, I think that's that's, I think that's magic in itself because Homeboy was on some other shit. You know what I mean? I think also too. You know, when you look at the eye doctors created the cipher that is the hardest to create because hopefully they would be able to be able to make you look one way, but really be looking a different way or be looking at one letter and think it's another letter. So I think it's fascinating that the hardest cracked cipher that we have right now is created by a bunch, hopefully of eye doctors <laughs> that were doing their job and not working at the local target. And uh, you, we were talking a lot about this previous about, you know, how little was known about this, what their, their real intentions were, how much they have to, to really uh, reveal. And I think that there's a lot more to these guys in particular, just because of how much they placed on the eye. Because after this, you have the all-seeing eye, you know, of Freemasonry come up. So I wonder what the their uh, predication was for this, the eye. So I have here why the eye, okay? And mm -hmm. the eyes are the window to the soul. We talked about the observer effect earlier today uh, earlier on this episode about how observing something has an effect on the outcome so when you look at a certain atom or you have the double slit experiment where the atom observed differently when it was being watched versus when it wasn't being watched so is it is it conscious is the atom is the particle conscious because i mean that's the only way you could really interpret that and you know the her one of the hermetic principles you know as above so below I i've always said if if we're not able to, because we don't know, right? You got a Nobel Peace Prize if you're able to, to to explain why the atom acts differently when it's being observed versus, versus when it's not. But as above, so below, right? Because if this happens at a molecular level, it can happen on a grander scale. And that's what the whole theosophical movement and all this stuff was about, about Helena Blavatsky and all them, where it was that we are many cosmos, you know, in the bigger, if you want to believe in space and, you know, you have the macrocosm and microcosm, so if things are able to change metaphysics, it's fucking magic. You know, it's quantum physics and all mm -hmm. that. If it's able to, to change on a atomic level, like, you know, if you're watching an atom, who's to say it can't happen, again, as above, so below. So it's happening in the smaller scale. Zoom out to the macro. It can happen with us. You know what I mean? This is what the occultism and all these different practices are where they say that man is able to attain a certain power, you know, extracurricular 
power that you wouldn't otherwise have if you didn't meditate. You know, you have the kundalini with the serpent opening up your third eye, which we'll get into. But in theology, divine providence or providence is God's intervention in the universe. The divine watchfulness of the supreme being taking care of the entire universe. In Christian iconography, the eye surrounded by a triangle represents the Christian trinity, God's omnipresence and divine providence which I just mentioned what that was. And the icon is still used in church architecture and Christian art today. So if you go to a lot of these different places, you will have the eye, you know, in a church. And it's supposed to be, you know, if you're, if you're Christian, the, the Holy Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and God's eye just peeking through and looking because he's always watching. I mean, that's the whole thing. And I was, uh, he's like Santa Claus, you know, when I grew up, it was, you know, he's watching everything you're doing, which is kind of, fucked up and weird if you really think about it you have the concept of the the watchers in all these ancient scriptures right uh you have the concept of uh, in the picatrix which is a a book on talismanic magic the watchers are the these entities that you summon to watch over your body while you're traveling in the astral plane and I like that interpretation of the watchers. I had never heard it before. I and I also one. like the alchemical watcher where the alchemist, you know, we have Enoch that was up mm -hmm. in the in the heavens with El, Yahweh, whoever, God. Mm -hmm. And they're watching the divine alchemist at work. So they're watchers of the divine alchemist at work. And so I like there's different interpretations of the watchers within different uh, cosmologies. And and. A lot of this started with uh, the Egyptians. It was the eye of Horus or Ra. And you have the two different eyes. The eye of Horus is the one that, you know, Crowley and all these guys talked about. It talks about different energies. And then you have the other eye, right? And in, the, in their cosmology, their God gets his eye gouged out and all this crazy mm -hmm. shit. But it's pretty much the yin, the yin and the yang. So you have both eyes. The eye of Horus and the eye of Ra. And it's just yin, yin, yin and yang. So, again, it's 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 everywhere. Uh, for the Hebrews, they spoke of the watchful eyes of the Lord. I think it was Metatron had 365 eyes after after he was done becoming uh, Metatron. We have in Hinduism, it is the Lord Shiva's third eye. In Buddhism, Buddha is known as the eye of the world. And you mentioned earlier the... Give me one sec. You, have, you mentioned earlier the Freemasons and the Illuminati, right? where this sign wasn't adopted it was adopted in 1782 as symbolism for the great seal of the u.s and it wasn't used by the freemasons until 14 years after that so who came up with it i don't know you know what i mean they say that the depiction of that right behind especially behind the one dollar bill is that the freemasons were you know they had taken over and they were had infiltrated I think it was, I think if anything, the founding fathers were, were more Rosicrucians than anything, more than, than, you know, Freemasons or any other Illuminati or whatever you want to call it. I think it was because the Bavarian Illuminati was in 1776. So 1782 here. I don't know, dude. I mean, it, you look at the timing of the major contributions to optometry. And that was all coming out of Germany, German optics, Zeiss, Helmholtz, Von Grafe, all these 
uh, optical shops you hear today. Those all came out of Germany, Austria, all that congealment of activity that was going on during those times, less what we're talking about now. And then you find, okay, well, after that, you got some of the big names coming from Germany over here and starting up their own optical gigs. And that's kind of how it came out, was from that Germanic, influential Illuminati, whatever you want to call it, you know, uh, a group of people <laughs> that, that, you know, started all this stuff. And you go back into the symbolism, not only is the triangle a symbol of all of what you just described, but it is also a metaphor for your two eyes at the base and then your pineal gland at the top of the triangle. Same thing connects you, connects you up. If you study, you know, Vedic texts and stuff like that, of how you're supposed to meditate, when you put your hands on your head, that creates a magnetic polarity between those two and, and shoots it up. So I think that's really cool. And then you look at the dollar bill, how that part of the triangle is separate because you, as you and I are on the base level with our only our two eyes and they have the third eye that's separate from everybody else. And that really goes into, well, how do we learn more about all this and how do we figure more of it out? And it goes back into that pineal gland stuff. And if you, the, if you read... I'll send you some stuff here after the show. You, you have Manly P. Hall. He talks about the pyramid symbolism, which is very interesting because it's supposed to signify man. And, you know, you said you said that the capstone on this pyramid is separated from the rest, right? And there's a lot of symbols that people use or see all throughout history or all throughout society that really they don't know what it means. And, I mean, a big part of alchemy is literally just symbols, and it's knowledge that's supposed to be shrouded within mystery i mean look at this cipher it lasted 260 years for some initiations for what I, you know whatever it was that they thought that they were going to achieve through that that's on them and their teachings but you have this all throughout history and i mean alchemy for one of them is very fascinating because everything is it could be whatever you want you know you could if you could switch if you could turn lead into gold then you know i'm sure there's a way to do it if you know, that meant on a spiritual level, turning lead into gold and becoming a higher line and purifying yourself. That's also another another way of interpreting it. But that, that's what's beautiful about it because it's symbols. And you can interpret it however you want. So we have here the eye of providence symbol is depicted by an eye within a triangle with the rays of light of glory emanating from it. It is meant to represent the divine providence and symbolize the eye of God watching over humanity. And it's been used since ancient times by various cultures obviously though we mentioned already the best example is the one on the back side of the great seal which is pr printed on the back of the united states one dollar bill and the eye of providence was adopted in 1782 as part of the symbolism at the time it was con a conventional symbol for god's benevolent oversight and since then it's been very uh featured on various american seals and logos such as the good people at darpa okay their information mm -hmm. awareness office and i was looking through some of their programs they have a program named babylon as well so that, i thought that mm -hmm. was really fucking great mm -hmm. and other countries that have that have adopted the symbol of course ukraine poland mm -hmm. brazil mm -hmm. uh, different states as well have adopted this and the eyes associated with freemasonry because it uh because it first appeared as part of the standard Freemasonic iconography in 1797 by a fellow named Thomas, uh, Thomas Smith Webb. 
he uh, published uh, what's called the Freemasonic Monitor, and it's like a, a pretty much a, a book for teaching the candidates or the the initiates of the exoteric stuff, you know, regalia and different things like that within the association. And he printed that and used that symbol on there in 1797. That was one of the first times they ever saw the all-seeing eye, the eye of providence within the Freemasonic uh, organization, if you will. And in Freemason, it's supposed to represent the all-seeing eye of God. It serves as a reminder that humanity's thoughts and deeds are always observed by God, who is, a, who is referred to as the great architect of the universe. So, and then they have, I think his name is Sarif Harim or something like that. The guy that died and became, you know, his body became the t Temple of Solomon. Some crazy fucking shit, like the divine artificer. I don't know. I'll have to ask That's Thomas. That's the divine artificer thing, yeah. Mm -hmm. I'll have to ask Thomas. He's the Freemason of the, of the group. <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't been initiated yet. So, although... <laughs> Conspiracy theories claim that the Eye of Providence is evidence that Freemasonry influenced the founding of the U.S. Masonic usage of the Eye dates to 14 years after the creation of the Great Seal. So I put make make what you will of that because, like I said, I think that the guys that were in charge of this country were more Rosicrucians in nature than anything. I think was it Thomas Thomas Jefferson? I think that's uh, the one. I get Thomas Edison and Jefferson mixed up. Uh, uh, Edison was the one with the Tesla that created electricity. Mm -hmm. Thomas Jefferson was one of the founding fathers. Mm -hmm. So I got to mm -hmm. make that connection. But I think he was the ones, he was one of the Freemasons in the group and supposedly, allegedly, uh, he had given some, I guess, Freemasonic, uh, idea for the group when it was like a committee coming together to pick the great seal and his idea was rejected. So I don't, I don't know if he probably wanted to put something else on there. Maybe the Freemasonic compass or something but i don't know and so we have the concept of the watchers which i mentioned earlier and a lot of people think that you know it's a literal eye or something but there's a literal comprehension to these sort of things and there's a mystical comprehension so in alchemy ergon was adopted from the egyptian eye of Ra, and repurposed into the right eye of the soul which was believed to keep an eye on the human souls and guide their abilities into attaining high spiritual purposes in the hermetic philosophies the eye is considered as the link between the earthly and spiritual realms or dimensions and believe one can obtain prophetic messages and visions through it predicting uh in predicting the future so you have uh magic such as divination and things like that where you're able to see visions and reading tea leaves or whatever the fuck it is that you like to do and so here the eye is not a physical symbol but an ethereal one in which consciousness may enter into a gateway of infinite expanse. So this is where you get the third eye, right? The pineal gland uh, and all these, you know, the, the in, in Freemasonic iconography, you have the frontal sinus, which is said to keep the soul, right? There's a gaseous thing in there, which is supposed to be the soul. And that's why some cultures put the dot on the, on the top here. Uh, it's supposed to be, um, was it Manly P. Hall puts it that, the pineal gland right because obviously you being a doctor you know that the body uh, i don't have my appendix anymore i had an uh, appendectomy when i was seven or eight my appendix actually ruptured it didn't it didn't uh and, you know i got inflamed but it actually actually broke you know popped mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh the we know that the body doesn't keep uh you know through evolution if you want to believe in evolution mm -hmm. it doesn't keep one. organs that are useless right it so it keeps evolving and they mm -hmm. said that through the development of our two eyes and the 
Lumerian times, you know, when when all when the giants and all this shit were mm -hmm. on Earth, our our pineal gland was actually like an antenna. And if you know little babies, their skulls don't jo finish joining until about the age of seven, right? Mm -hmm. So we know that little kids are more susceptible to certain things. That's how you get the whole QAnon shit and the you know sacrificing kids to Moloch mm -hmm. and all this stuff because they're uh, they're the closest to the source that we're ever gonna get because they're the purest. You know what I mean? So they say up until the age, of, you know, in these times before our eyes were developed where they are, we had this antenna that came mm -hmm. from the, you know, from this area of the of the head and protruded out. And that was, you know, we were more susceptible to spirituality and all this shit. Mm -hmm. But then with time, it got pushed back into the brain and it's still there. You know what I mean? It's still there. We don't know what the fuck it's for, but it just it happens to look like an eye and all this shit. So. The third eye is a mystical and esoteric invisible eye. This eye has a heightened extrasensory perception beyond ordinary sight. It is a spiritual concept related to enlightenment and direct communication with higher states of consciousness or higher planes of existence. So, again, I there's people who take psychedelics, you know, and they say that they're able to unlock that third. I've, I've had a friend of mine tell me that he's had his third eye forced open and he was able to, you know, see into like a spirit realm you know he was doing 5-meo dmt and the craziest shit about 5-meo is the they call them i forgot the name of it but you can have like a relapse almost where the effect comes back it's random it comes back and it can last as long as you want it to last or hmm. as long as it'll last and it can happen mm -hmm. to you whenever the fuck like a certain time after you do the toad you can experience like a, a, a i forgot the name of it uh, but like pretty much like a relapse, and I'm like, that's scary as fuck. Cause what if you're driving? Yeah. You I ever mean, done DMT, bro? You go, nah, man. I I stay to the I stay to just the plants that grow from the ground and the stuff on the back of frogs. I'm gonna leave for the experts, but uh, <laughs> you bring up a lot of good points because uh, that third eye is actually retinal tissue. So if you dissect the pineal gland and you look at the back of the retina, those cells are the same. What? It is absolutely a receiver of magnetic and electrical polarity. And you Seriously. look at the um, inner monk's activity of the pineal gland, and it's actually miniature crystals. So I don't know, back with, when we were talking about Tesla, he talks of my brain is only a receiver. And I mm -hmm. believe that wholeheartedly, that it's, you know, we're, we're just kind of plugged in here in a way, uh, you know, beamed in, and that's kind of what's moving, you know, me around here in a way. We can get into that. But the point is, is yes, there were some anatomical studies back. If you push right here, there's um, pressure relieving uh, uh, mantras that you can do. If you have a, a sinus headaches, you're told to push here. And that is creating a pressure and uh, a, a balance between the muscular activity in your head. So then you go further back into that. And if you, you know what piezoelectricity is, it's miniature electrical charges that are created uh, basically to keep your body running. And there is a lot of piezoelectric activity within the pineal gland. So I believe that is where the key is. Once we figure out where this electricity happens and how it is activating these miniature crystals, crystals are an amazing thing. Tesla talks about how they're living. I think there's a lot of applications in laser therapy with them because if you shoot a, a, one of our photons into a crystal, you exponentially uh, magnify the power of that wave. So if I go and I put a crystal in front of you and I do an eye surgery, it is light years more um, uh, cellularly um, 
gentle because I can carve out that piece of rock on a cellular or subcellular uh, level, whereas I'm just using a scalpel and I'm being very abrasive with it. So there's a lot of potential that those crystals that are up here play with that increased electroactivity. And you know, the one thing that increases that between the two sides of the brain is marijuana. It's been shown to have more of a synthetic effect of the right brain sort of more mathematic and the left brain sort of more of artistic capabilities. So when you have that, that goes into those, you know, psychedelics of higher levels of consciousness, being able to see more, maybe they're just turning that pineal gland and they're opening up that spectrum that we talked about. And that is what you're seeing. Maybe you're not into a different realm. Maybe your, fourth, your third eye wasn't forced open. Maybe it was opened in a way that now you can experience more of that larger wave. <clears throat> yeah, and I like the way that, what was it? Alan Moore puts it. He puts it that, you know, reality is sort of building blocks, right? You know, and I, and I just picture Legos. And it's just like that. Sometimes there's cracks, you know, that you can see through whatever it is. And I also heard it put the other way. I forgot who I was listening to where maybe I'm able to pick up a certain frequency that you're not able to pick up, right? And vice versa, because we are all different. You know, you have the haplogene X group where they're more susceptible to metaphysical and spiritual experiences maybe their spectrum of light that they're able to pick up is at a different level than than mine but that's crazy the 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 crystals how they're able to amplify and and you're able that's that's fucking that's, so wild to me dude if we do it right that's the next level of of what we should be experiencing in terms of medical improvements and stuff whether or not the petroleum system is going to come around to it but optics based crystal light therapy and wavelength-based spectrum therapy of shooting that photon at a, that frequency you were talking about, matching the vibrational frequency of the defect. When you find that frequency that matches the defect's frequency, you get rid of the defect. Well, because if, if you look at everything, everything is right disease. It's a disease. So if you're able to match the frequency how you're saying, you're able to either calm it or get rid of it or cancel it out in some way or shape or form. Because if I'm able to, you know, tune my hand to the frequency of this desk, I'm able to put my hand through it. So, yeah, absolutely. And th that's mind-blowing what you were saying about the pineal gland and the back of the eye. You're saying that it's the same tissue that's found within the, the back of the eye that's found on the pineal gland? You have retinal cellular tissue on your pineal surface as well as the concave surface of the retina. And it's the same light activity, which is called scotopic or photopic, when your cat's eyes, eyes light up from an infrared spectrum, you can actually, on certain individuals, get a little bit of reactivity here. And there's a lot of that you can do in retinal imaging where, remember I talked about transduction, you excite those uh, cells, and then you can map that color change. So if I, if I put a certain frequency of light into um, the retinal tissue and I excite it, I can take a picture of that. And that's what I want to try to do here and try to map that reflectivity. What so, the uh, fuck, bro? <laughs> That's, yeah, I've heard of biophotons, that the brain emits actual light. Uh, even if it's on a molecular level, it still emits some light. And, you know, you have different you know theories. you know the DNA phantom effect? Have you heard about that? No. Okay, this one's pretty cool. So I don't know how much science is in this because it was – there were some dudes like David Wilcock. I don't know if you really follow him, but that's how I got <laughs> you into You like that guy, bro? He was one of the first. <laughs> he was one of the first people that that I kind of jumped into 
way before I found my way to you guys that are legit, basically. But I was reading uh, some light therapy stuff that he did, and he worked with a, a different guy. Um, let me pull his name up so I get it right. But it's called Tom, DNA. Tom loves that guy. Oh, I really? fucking hate him. I think he's yeah, just... I'm not. I don't. I don't know how what, what I feel about him, but uh, he he brought this to my attention, which is pretty cool. So it was observed in Moscow, right? And what you can do is essentially take light and you shoot it at a DNA, okay? And you can visualize a double helix of DNA, and that will cause cells on the DNA to excite and to emit light. So when you excite that DNA and you emit its light, it then creates a shadow of the double helix. So they're saying that you can create that shadow into a different cell using light because it's gonna map that double helix structure. So you're basically shooting that cell's DNA shadow into a different cell. And now the, the weird thing is they were able to mimic that cellular uh, helix they said they were able to detect that light for about 30 days afterwards. So it's interesting stuff. It all goes back into how you can excite these cells and create that light and, and, and increase that spectrum. And when you talk about, you know, mapping DNA and stuff, it's like, well, how, how do we know it was a, a double helix? Because Watson and Crick took LSD and then had this experience <laughs> or, or did they have that spectrum opened up more and they were able to see it themselves based off of that? You know what I mean? So, you ever heard of Paul Benjamin Blood? I've not heard of him. Oh, so. I'm covering him tomorrow with Thomas on the Occult Book Club, and he wrote a book. He pretty much, super obscure. I mean, this is like the early, I think, late 1800s, early 1900s. And Homeboy was taking a bunch of nitrous and studying philosophy. And according to him that's the, that's the secret there you go he, yeah he was able to have these epiphanies and understand things that he wouldn't otherwise understand but i can just imagine this guy with a fucking tank of of nitrous oxide in his, in his room just dude they would fill up entire rooms with nitrous oxide go in there and just hot box bro <laughs> yeah hot box and just be high as fuck and then just write everything down and and just they would bro the, he he was he was writing like next level shit, bro. Like this, that's what we're gonna cover tomorrow. Uh, th uh, this episode, I think that episode will be out before this one. But they were just—he was just having these breakthroughs, bro, and just talking just some crazy shit. He talks about how ideas are alien energy and all this craziness, bro. It's fucking wild. It's crazy, crazy, crazy. So, dude, I think this fucking episode was great, man. I think you've brought a lot of insight, you know, especially from a medical point of view. Uh, I think you're a really interesting guest. Is for this Thank being you. your first uh, podcast, you did great, bro. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. I'm just happy to be here. It's uh, a breath of fresh air to be able to talk to individuals that uh, can share some like understanding like this. Um, they're hard hard to find nowadays. So I don't know if you uh, want to plug your social media or something. I mean, I'm sure that people would be interested to talk to you or have you on their podcast after I put this out because that's usually how that works. If you have an interesting guest. Who knows their shit? They're gonna wanna have you on their show. I don't know if you have social media. I uh, plug it uh, You don't have to. I have a. Uh, you can direct message me on a burner Instagram that I use. It's uh, just J M S underscore O D. My two credentials that you have there. Uh, you can shoot me an email at J J J O N thirteen thirteen at AOL dot com. Yes, that was made in sixth grade, and I still use it. 
And uh, I'd love to be on and talk more uh, with you or whomever that just wants to have a conversation because, uh, like I said, it's a breath of fresh air to just to be able to conversate this way. So. Well, I'm sure that the, a couple of the guys are going to want to have you on after they listen to this. So Perfect, uh, thank man. you for coming on, brother. I appreciate hey. you, man. I had a great time. I, this is really insightful. And I'll, we'll definitely plan to do another one very soon. I'm happy to be on the next time for you, sir. And, hey, best of luck this week coming in with the new dad. And I hope everything goes well with that. So. Thanks, man. Mm-hmm.